You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Father God, we thank you for your love and for your unlimited grace and mercy. Can we find ourselves thanking you for Jesus? Jesus, we thank you that you are the source of life, that there's no one else that can meet us at our point of need. The world has nothing for us. You are everything we need. Help us, Lord. We proclaim this this morning. This this world has nothing for us. We will follow you. We will follow you. God, it's easy for us to say that prayer when we're sitting in a room that's warm. There's no pressures, no... We didn't have to hide our way into the building. We have so much freedom. Lord, as those pressures increase, as things happen in our lives and our world, Lord, would you draw us back in? That we would remember that we proclaimed that we would follow you, that we need you. We can't do it without you. This morning as we gather, our prayer is, Father, that you would speak to us. You know where each person in this room is. You know where each person who's listening online is. God, would you meet each of us at that point of need? Speak to us. God, would you draw those who have walked away from you into relationship, Father, that you would restore them as you restored the prodigal. God, those that are hearing this message for the first time that don't know you and and they've never had a relationship with you, Father, we're asking that you would draw them in this morning with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just simply surrender this time to you. Speak to us is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Amen. Sunday morning reminder, I love you, but God loves you more. And you have been prayed for. You've been covered in prayer. You're not here by accident today. God has a purpose and a plan in you being here. So my exhortation to you is that you listen intently to the Holy Spirit. Listen intently to his word, to God's word. Not necessarily my words. I just got a bunch of mumbo jumbo I put in between. Listen to God's word. Listen to what he has for you this morning. Amen? Another reminder as we jump into our text and our study is that exhortation to study God's word on your own, not just waiting for a Sunday morning uh, study or a midweek Bible study, but that you're in the word verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You know, we've been doing the read read through the Bible in a year plan. It's still on the website as well. Um, Now, whatever it takes, just get in the word. And, and do the same thing we do on a Sunday morning as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You do it on your own and watch what God does. 
Pray that the Holy Spirit ministers to you and speaks to you through his word. It will indeed bring change. It is alive and powerful. As we quote often, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare before him, for the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Guys, get into God's word and let it do its work. Let it do its work on you and through you. As much as I pray that for us every Sunday, I pray it even more throughout the week that you are daily seeking his direction, that you're daily seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit, that you slow down as we talked about the last couple weeks of just stepping out of traffic, stepping out of the noise and the busyness of the world and listening to the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit getting that direction, getting that um, correction even, getting that sense of his peace in your life. So spend time in his word. Amen? We need it. We need it more than we realize. Um, This morning we continue in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. Uh, As as you see, I'm sitting down. I'm on week number four of whatever the sinus thing is. Um, apparently, though, all of a sudden, like as soon as I got up here, my very, very white voice went away. So I'm not going to be <laughs> down in that lower octave talking about the love of God. Um, but I am going to sit here and we're going to go through God's word. The title this morning is Waiting for God's Best Miraculous Provision. And our main text is in Genesis 2, 18 through 25. If you think about it and you've got to admit it, but as a society, we're not very good at waiting. Um, you notice that at the stoplight, as soon as it turns green and you just, you haven't even got your foot off the brake to the gas and somebody's laying on their horn. I mean, it just turned. I'm, we're a microwave meal mentality kind of people. <sighs> Why is dinner taking two minutes? Fast food, drive through talk about McDonald's in the past. I don't know if they've changed it since I looked this statistic up years ago, but from the point that you order your food to the time that you're driving away, they want it to be 80 seconds or less. What about if you want to buy something that you can't afford? No problem. We'll extend your credit where every 10000 you spend, you're going to pay us that amount plus $3,600. You need a new vehicle? You want that nice new truck? 40 grand, it's great. You're going to pay us 54,000 for it. Just do it. Do it now. Don't wait. Don't save. What do you need to save? Get in debt. It's the American dream. No, it's not. I mean, it is apparently. The Nike brand mentality has become a mentality for our society. And we really do live in an amazing country with many, many freedoms, many blessings, many choices, but that in itself may be a curse. That mindset has even worked its way into the church. Oh, this church was great at first, but nah, I need to move on. It's too people-y for me. Or uh, worship's not what I thought it would be. Or, well, that pastor, he doesn't really, you know, he doesn't tell enough jokes. Or he tells too many jokes, I don't know. It's even worked its way into the relationship between man and woman as God created it. So we have men and women abusing God's gift to man in intimacy and then fighting to the death of a baby through abortion. 
I want to do what I want to do and I don't want to have the consequences mentality. Whereas in life as we're growing and, and, and becoming adults and stepping into adulthood and what does life look like, it's always wise to buy a small little starter home. You fix it up, right? You sell it, you buy that next house up a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer. The same should not apply to relationships. There are no starter marriages. There is no try it before you buy it. There is God's plan for a covenant between man and woman. Well, that's a bold proclamation, isn't it? That's not what the world wants to hear. And here's another one. We're going to do it again. God created two genders that are given the gift of participating in that covenant relationship, male and female. God created them. Man and woman were created with purpose and value to be stewards of his creation, to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth. Our job is to surrender our lives and to submit to God's will. And I won't lie to you and, and say that God has the perfect man or woman for you. Just, just wait, that perfect one is there. But what he does have for you is his perfect will for your life. Married, single, widowed, widower. But can we wait for God's best for us? Or do we want to put it in the microwave? He will provide miraculously, either with the man or woman that he has for you or with the strength to walk with eyes on him in your singleness. I find myself in an interesting place after being married 36 years and finding myself alone. There is indeed a deep loneliness. Sometimes it seems unbearable, but God, he is indeed enough. And he has a plan. He has a plan greater than I can imagine. I haven't seen it. I'm just trying to rest in him. Well, that's a heavening, heavy uh, opening to the message, eh? Hey, <laughs> my inner Canadian just came out. <laughs> Take off to the great white north, eh? It's a beauty way to go. Some of you aren't old enough for that. Waiting for God's provision, a, a miracle of what is best for you and I, is a must. In our text today, God creates the first woman, a suitable helper for man. Let's look at verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. It's not good for man to be alone. Amen. Here we go. This is the first time within God's creation we see him recognize something that is not good, the aloneness of man. You see, God never intended that man be alone socially or in a marital sense. Take that, introverts. I'm just kidding. Also, we take into account what Paul said about being single, right? He said that it was good to be single. Hey, if you're single, be single and rejoice. So don't get bent out of shape if you're single. It's okay. Where we are today in Scripture is the way God intended his creation to be and to function. Marriage, the way that God intended it, brings blessings to not just us individually, but brings blessings to our society as a whole that seem to be ignored or taken advantage of. 
the degradation of marriage and the degradation of the family unit. It's been the devil's greatest attack and where he has seen the most fruit. The wildest, most violent sociopathic men in history have always been single. Never under the plan that God gave to influence men for good. And for society as a whole, that is not good. You know, when we see when, when Nate and Fallon are doing the, the foster stuff and that the fam aspect of ministry, reaching kids who are coming from a very bad, broken home situation and giving them a glimpse of hope, a little hand up to say, hey, you don't have to be like that. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. They're valuing that and other programs across our, our nation and our city. Man, we've got to engage in people's lives because there's broken, I guarantee, is anybody in here not know somebody who's in a broken family or home situation? Like that would be the, the minority. We all know somebody. All right, I gotta go back to the message. We're gonna go a different way. I will make him a helper suitable for him. God's blueprint for creating the companion to Adam was to make a helper suitable to Adam. As you study, it's good to see that the differing interpretations or passages of words. And I encourage you as you study throughout the week to have a couple different versions of the Bible open and a couple different commentaries and because you can see the thought pattern in there and, and the different verbiage. So I've got a couple from one commentator and then a, a few different versions. The Amplified version in, in regard to uh, suitable helper, it says, the Amplified says helper meet, suitable, adapted, completing. The living says a companion, a helper suited to his needs. Uh, Beck, a, a commentator says a helper such as he needs. The Septuagint says a helper correspondent to himself. NIV and the NASB say a helper suitable. And the King James says a help meet for him. A variety of expressions, but they all come to the same premise. In reference to the marriage relationship, God created woman to be perfectly suitable as a helper to the man. This means that God gave the plan and agenda to Adam and the woman would work together and work to fulfill God's plan, to fulfill God's agenda. They would work together to complete that. Now remember, we look at, at literal context here. The, the biblical principle and concept causes some women to bristle. Uh, when we look at the, the marriage relationship and authority, the apostle Paul comes right in and he throat punches. Paul's good at throat punching. First Timothy 2, 12 and 13. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Nobody's throwing anything. We're okay still. For it was Adam who was created and then Eve, and we gotta keep the proper perspective and think of God's whole counsel, the whole counsel of God's word. It is indeed God ordained that men walk in godly authority of their household, but when men do not do so, things tend to go sideways. They go sideways with the kids, it goes sideways with the marriage as a whole, but then the woman, if she's got her eyes fixed on God, she's naturally gonna step up and into that role because somebody's gotta lead spiritually if the man's not doing it. They take positions of authority that, that they should not because there is no leadership. 
as this gets a little personal for me, I know this personally because the first seven years of my marriage, Pam was the spiritual head. I didn't want to do that. She's the one that got us out of bed to go to church. She's the one that, that was singing songs to Brandon. And not that I didn't believe in God, but man, my, I, I've, you know my testimony. I've had one foot in the world. I had one foot in the church the way my dad taught me. So Pam took that role. Once I surrendered to the Lord completely, then there were godly men that began to show me how to lead my household as a godly man, as a biblical leader, husband, and father. And that transition took a little bit. Pam wasn't fighting to keep that authority, but it took time for me to prove that I truly had surrendered my life to the Lord and was walking the way I should be as a Christian. And that transition happened, and our marriage grew. Something else you can look at that's interesting in, in history um, to kind of confirm this pattern of, of where we've shifted in our country. If you think about World War I and World War II, men were called off to war, and they were leaving behind the women and the children, right? And so what did that do in the churches across America? It left a hole in male leadership within the church. And we began to see a shift because women stepped in and filled those spaces that men had engaged in and leading, and they were now absent from. And as they came back home, that structure didn't shift very much. And it's still that way today. We get, I have to brag on our church, we have a ton of guys who volunteer and serve in the church. But most churches, it's predominantly women who are serving within the church. I believe that's why women are still leading in that way today. A societal shift occurred. It changed the spiritual leadership within the family unit as a whole. God-given responsibility and accountability biblically has been given to the man. God-given responsibility and accountability biblically was given to the woman to help the man. There's a balance though, men. We need to step it up. We need to be engaged in, in doing it in a godly way, in a biblical way. It doesn't mean that there is no help from the man to the woman, although in many cases it's sadly true. And God sees you. It means that when God looks down from heaven upon a family, he sees a man in leadership, good or bad, faithful or not, He sees how we're leading our households. God sees how we're leading our families. God sees how we're leading our wives, gentlemen. We've got to step it up. We've got to engage. If you're being a true leader, you're naturally going to help those who are helping you. It's something we talk about constantly here at the church, and it's that aspect of servant leadership. We're even going through one of Pastor Ed's books, Servant Leadership as a Staff. What does it mean to lead? Well, we do it as a servant. We serve each other. How may I serve you is the question. How may I serve you is the mentality that we should have. When we serve, it removes tension, it removes factions, it removes arguments. How much more so in the home as husband and wife and with our kids? How may I serve you? As I've said it before, with Pam and I, we would strive to outserve each other. And that in itself squashed most arguments and tension. The only tension was that she didn't like the way I loaded the dishwasher. I did it right. 
she's not here to defend herself. Pam was my suitable helper, my helpmeet. Thinking like the world is what gets us into trouble, thinking that we have this power thing, that we need to have a position of authority, male or female, if it's outside of God's confines, is where we get in trouble. The, mother's, the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee requested that her son sit at the right and left hand of Jesus in the new kingdom. Look at Jesus' response, and this one's not in the slides. It's Matthew 20, 25 through 28. So, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That means that you, gentlemen, even though you exercise God-given authority, you serve. You serve. Be ready to lay down your life for your wife. This is not inferior thinking. This is, this is the way it should be. Okay. Ladies, thank you for not throwing anything at me. Here comes the redeeming perspective. If you're mad at me, don't be mad at me. It's in the Bible. So you can talk to God about that. A suitable helper. Not only was she made to be a helper, but was suitable, comparable, similar to Man, we've got to pay attention to her, honor her, esteem her. A wife is not a mere tool or a worker to be used, but an equal partner in God's grace. Equal as a human being. Remember, neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Jesus Christ. Suitable helper. Adam's single state was the only thing God created that he declared not good. And God made us for fellowship both with himself and with others. We can count on him to meet our need for a deep personal relationship. But don't get ahead of what God has for you. Wait for his best. Don't try to justify. Don't try to, to substitute any relationship of any kind, I guarantee you are not going to be satisfied with anything less than God's best for you. We can try to fill the void. We can try to fill the gap. And you're going to be right back where you were. I have a dear friend that lives in, in Utah. She's probably watching this morning. Um, we've been friends since high school. She's a single mom. Uh, we were talking about loneliness via text after Pam had passed and just talking about being lonely. And she kind of posed the question that made me stop and, and pause and think. And Are you lonely or are you choosing to be alone? That's a hard question. I didn't choose to be alone. God chose. Oh. Okay, so what do I do with that? How do, I, how do I process that? We have to take our expectations out of the equation. God, this is where I am today. Would you give me the strength? Would you give me the ability to walk in your will? 
to be directed and guided by you, would you fill that void? To accept where God has us, to accept the fact that he is indeed walking with us. You're not alone. He's walking with you every step of the way. The dictionary says loneliness is a state of distress or discomfort that results when one perceives a gap between one, one's desire for social connection and the actual experiences of it. It really is a mindset and a heart set. Um, many of you don't, well, some of you know Dwight. He used to be our, the head of our security team here at the church. And talking to Dwight one day, single guy, older guy, older than me guy. <laughs> Sorry, Dwight, if you're watching. And we were talking about loneliness. And he said, you know, I can walk in a room full of people that I know love me and still feel lonely. Okay. I didn't really understand that until after Pam passed away. Oh. Okay, our emotions play a big part in the overall wellness of our being, our, our feelings, uh, feelings of loneliness, feelings of anger, or love, or all those things, they play into how we are physically and mentally. And we can easily try to find a substitute for it, self-medicating, justifying, jumping into relationships without praying them through, without waiting for God's best. We've gotta wait for God's best in everything in life. In conversations with my, I wasn't gonna say this, but I guess I'm going to anyways. Conversation with my daughter a couple months ago before I got my puppy. Um, I told her I was lonely. I needed a dog. We're talking a little bit and I said, or a wife, I mean, no comparison there. Dog or a wife. Just looking for companionship. She immediately began sending me pictures of dogs that were ready for adoption. I responded by sending her pictures of Russian mail order brides. Just kidding, I didn't do that. I haven't been looking for Russian mail order brides, just for the record. We need God's best, no matter where we are in life, whether we're married or not. What is God's best for you? Are you looking for that? No matter where you're in life, you've got to pause and seek his best. Not what is going to feed your flesh. Not what is going to meet your need right now, but what is going to meet your need long-term that is glorifying to God. Trusting that he's going to provide in ways that you can never imagine. So here we have in our text, Adam's working. He's naming the animals as God created them. And there was no comparable helper for him, not even man's best friend, dog. Verses 19 and 20, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not, a, not found a, a helper suitable for him. Can you imagine Adam, the first man? No corruption in, in his mind. I mean, he's learning what he sees. That's, he's growing as he goes. The wealth of knowledge that God had given him. The ability to intelligently name these animals. E even though I have access to, to all the names of the animals, I, I couldn't tell you. Like if, if I was looking at the pictures in an encyclopedia or on, online, like I'd have to look 
for some of those names. I have no idea what those are. Zandu, anybody know what that is? It's kind of a deer looking thing, antelope cross mixed thing from Africa. Like all those names, all that creation that was happening. I still don't understand the duck-billed platypus, but Adam, the first and greatest biologist and botanist of them all. As Adam named the animals, he didn't name any of them after himself. He didn't have rhinoceros man or chicken man. He understood that there was a difference between he and the animals. There was something different. The animals were not made in the image of God. Mark Twain had a joke where he described Adam coming home to Eve after naming all the animals, and Eve looked at the elephant and said, what did you name that big animal? Adam replied, I called it an elephant. Eve asked, why did you call it an elephant? Because it looked like an elephant. <laughs> what other reference does he have? But for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper. Within all of this, it's obvious Adam to Adam that the animals came in pairs and he had no pair. He had no mate. And since God deliberately had Adam name the animals after seeing his need for a partner, God used this to prepare Adam to receive the gift of woman. So man was created with intellect, named every beast and fowl. And then that realization, there was no one for him. I love my dog, not the same. Loneliness, choosing to be alone versus being lonely. God saw the need and was about to address it. But again, man wants to fix things himself. John Corson said this, said, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, Mr. and Mrs. Rhinoceros, Mr. and Mrs. Orangutan, Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus. Adam called out their names of these animals that they paraded before him. And as he did, there must have come a point where he realized everyone but him had a counterpart I gotta make something happen, Adam could have said, climbing trees, beating bushes, trying to find a mate. He could have searched the world to find his counterpart, but the closest he would come would have been an orangutan or a chimpanzee. And that's what happens to a lot of people today, he says, aware of their single state. They say, well, I've gotta find somebody. So off they go to rock and rodeo and they come back with an orangutan. So she's a little hairy, it's okay. So he's kind of big and overbearing. This is as close as I could get to the perfect match, they say. That is no more God's plan for us than it was for Adam. This is such a good perspective. We need God's best. Now, a significant delay occurred between the time God said he would give Adam a helper and the time he actually created Eve. And there are going to be times when we have to wait for God's blessings times when we have to wait for God's best. The microwave's not going to work. We need to rest in him. But then here we go. Miraculous provision. Verses 21 and 22. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. The Lord God fashioned it into a woman, the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. I'm just curious, any of you thinking you're gonna create something, would you have thought to go ahead and grab a rib? It's beyond our comprehension through the creativity of God. It's where we see God make a way where we cannot see it. This world has nothing for me, I will follow you. 
Because God, you've got the plan and you've got the provision. Stating, God, what do you want for me? God, what do you have for me? Let me desire that and let me trust in you to provide that in your timing. Amen? So here we have the first recorded surgery causing deep sleep. God went to work. We as human beings, or maybe it's just me, I'd think that God would just stir up a little dirt and create another one like he did Adam. However, God used Adam's own body and it's a powerful reminder to him and to us of the oneness between man and woman. As Adam came to know Eve, he'd see many ways that they were different, but he must never forget that they're essentially one and they were made the same, the same substance. They were more alike than different. We don't really know exactly what God took from Adam's side to make Eve. The, you know, we read it says the rib, but, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is, is that modern research into cloning and genetic replication show every cell in our body contains the body's entire genetic blueprint. God took some of Adam's cells, changed their genetic blueprint through the creation of Eve, creating the second of only two genders that there are. Barnhouse said that it's a beautiful Jewish tradition saying that God made woman not out of man's foot to be under him, nor out of his head to be over him. She was taken from under his arm that he might protect her and from next to his heart that he might love her. It's important to realize that there are not two beginnings to the human race, one in Adam and one in Eve. There was one beginning of the human race in Adam, whom Eve came out of. So God made her and brought her to the man. And he said, how you doing? Yeah. Oh, he didn't say that. God brought, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for that. God brought Eve to Adam, created Eve out of Adam. He was the first source in the head. She was created to be the helper perfectly suited for him. Thus that subordinate relationship of wives and husbands is found before the curse, not only after it. Again, God moves in mysterious ways, creative ways, ways that we can't fathom. I know I wouldn't have thought of that. I, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have just stirred some more dirt up. I kind of had a plan. We laugh, and you've probably heard the statement. Pam said it before, too. It's, well, he may be the head, but I'm the neck, and I'll turn that head wherever I want. Pam's motto. No, it's just kidding. John Corson points out, when Adam was in the deep, death-like sleep, from out of his side came a bride. Down the tunnel of time, another bride would come forth from the side of another Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. When a soldier stuck a spear in his side and the birthing fluids of blood and water poured forth, a bride was born, the church, you and I. Jesus laying down his life. The death of Christ brought forth the bride of Christ, us. See the connection? And here's where things balance out a bit for you ladies. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, listen. 
It's not just about a wife being your suitable helper. You are to love her in such a way, just the same as Christ loved the church. In other words, you are ready to die for her, to lay it all down, your needs, your desires, your dreams, because that's what Christ did for us. That's our example, gentlemen. Our statement and heart must be as Jesus' was in Luke 22, 42. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, your will be done. Wives, you came out of the side of man and you'll find fulfillment in the side of your man, neither leading or lagging behind, but standing with, standing firm with him and submitting to him. But we have to know this, wives, your husbands will never be all that you want or need them to be. A rib was taken from Adam and, and men have been missing something ever since. There is only one who has it all together. He's not called the second Adam, meaning there might be a third. He is called the last Adam because there is no other, Jesus. He's not missing a thing because he was, wasn't born the way every other man was since Adam was born. He'll be the one who will listen to you by the hour, he'll walk with you in the garden. He'll walk in the cool of the day. He'll be the one who will hear not just the words of your lips, but Jesus hears the cry of your heart. He's the one who will truly understand you. For all of us, so when we start seeking what we crave from the last Adam, from Jesus Christ, we take pressure off of our husband. We take pressure off of our wife and we're able to experience that and enjoy them without expecting something that they cannot give us. It speaks to the importance of you and I being dialed in to our relationship with Jesus Christ first. That's all of us. Not one person can get out of that. Our relationship with God has to be priority. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Now we see Adam's wisdom, the understanding about Eve's connection to him. Verse 23, man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. Adam recognized that Eve was both like him, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and not like him, she was taken out of man. But yet they were one, but they were not the same. Flesh of my flesh, Adam understood the essential oneness in his relationship with Eve. This point is so important. It's referred to several times in the New Testament, including a great marriage passage in Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife and loves himself, for no one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Let me ask you something. When you walk into a room on a normal basis, how many of you walk in and look for the most uncomfortable seat or place in the to be? <laughs> None of us, right? Like we walk in the room and the first thing we're looking for is, where's the best seat, right? Some of you have found the best seat in the house because you're still sitting there and you have been for the last two years. Like that's what we look for. Our natural concern we have is for ourselves to take care of ourselves and in a healthy marriage relationship, the husband realizes that essentially that union with his wife and that he cannot bless her without blessing himself, that he cannot mistreat or neglect her without mistreating or neglecting himself. We look out for them. We look out for each other. Happy wife, happy life. It's no joke. I listened to a message from Jack Kibbs, and he said that last week as well. Adam recognized that though he and Eve were one, she was not the same as him. He understood that two different people were becoming one, and Peter tells husbands to recognize that they are one with someone different, someone whom they must understand. 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Guys, I know we joke about it, but can we really understand our wives? What are they saying? It's a different language. What's that book, Men Are From Venus, Women From Mars, or something like that? Maybe I got it backwards. But it's to truly understand and truly look into who they are, to pay attention to their needs, to their concerns. If men and women are different, are they equal? Elizabeth Elliot said, in what sense is red equal to blue? They are equal only in the sense that both are colors in the spectrum. Apart from that, they're different. In what sense is hot equal to cold? They're both temperatures. But beyond that, it's almost meaningless to talk about equality. And Clark said, women has been defined by many as compounded for woe and man, as if called man's woe because she tempted him to eat the forbidden fruit. But this is no meaning of the original word, nor could it be intended as the transgression was not even committed at that time. I still stick with my part of why we got woman, because when Adam saw her, whoa, man. That was, his, that was his response. First marriage, verse 24 and 25. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And this is used often in, in officiating weddings. It's a popular one. The marriage principle stated here is based on the dynamic of oneness, yet distinction. A man and wife can truly come together in one flesh, in that relationship, yet they must be joined. It is a spiritual fact that the benefits of oneness are not gained by accident or chance. This passage forms a foundation for the Bible's understanding of marriage and family. Both Jesus and Paul quoted it in, in reference to marriage. Morris said the institution of monogamous marriage, home, and family is a basic medium for the propagation of the race 
and the training of the young is so common to human history that people seldom pause and reflect on how or why such a custom came into being. When we think about it, it's the American dream. It's where most people think it was instituted. In the 1950s, a a two-parent family was propagated, and it was celebrated on TV with the likes of Ozzy and Harriet. We want a spouse, 2.5 kids, a dog, a cat. No one wants a cat. A house, a perfect job. Just kidding. Sorry, cat lovers. I love you too. Like, we want that perfect picture. What, the American dream, that's where it all came from, right? It's all about the Americans. It's America. No, you know what? It's biblical. It started with Adam and Eve, the original marriage, the beginning of the, of the family unit, God's ideal for the family. This isn't polygamy. It's not having a, a, a concubine. It's not keeping a mistress. It's not adultery. It's not homosexuality or cohabitation. It's not promiscuity. It isn't living together outside of the marriage bond. This isn't serial marriage. Well, that one didn't work. Let's do the next. That didn't work. Do the next. Oh, that didn't work. Do the next. This is God's ideal for the family. And when we don't live up to it, it's still important to set it forth as God's ideal. And if you're in that broken spot, You have to know and understand that God brings healing and restoration too. We have to forget the past and look forward to what God is doing now. Amen? We're going to come back to that in a second. Satan knows the power of a family unit that works together to honor God. He knows it. So his attacks are relentless. So we have to ramp it up. We have to fight back with all of our strength, spiritually, mentally, physically. One flesh. The idea is taken from, uh, from many to be mainly a way of expressing sexual union. While sexual union is certainly related to the idea of one flesh, it is only one part of, one, of what it means to be one flesh. There's an important spiritual dimension to it. Guys, listen, we keep talking about this. It's uncomfortable in church, isn't it? God created sex to be a beautiful thing. He created it. Satan has distorted that beauty. Paul makes it clear that sexual union has one flesh implications even when we don't intend so. As when a man has sex with a prostitute. 1 Corinthians 6.16, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to the prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. Husband and wife become one flesh under God's blessing. In that extramarital sex, The partners become one flesh, but it is not under his blessing. Some refer to the connection as being a soul tie. There's no biblical backing for that. It's it's thrown around a lot in the counseling uh, arena, and, and I've even used it, but there's a principle there of an intense connection that happens that is real. Two people connect, they bond. It's a deep bond with that person. Someone who hears this uh, probably isn't going to like it either, but listen, in this sense, there is no such thing as casual sex. It's within the confines of marriage. Every relationship begins a a one flesh bond. That bond is either going to be something beautiful, like the beautiful dancing of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, or it's going to be something distorted, like conjoined twins. 
the bonding that God intends take place with committed love, demonstrated by a marriage commitment, a covenant to one man and one woman, they become one flesh. But again, if being in a place where that hasn't been the case, God's grace and mercy and love is so great. We just turn to him. We lay it all before him. We tell him all about it. We surrender it to him. We ask for forgiveness and we look forward to what God is gonna do next, amen? Don't let the past take you down. Look forward to what God has from this point. He has a purpose and a plan and he'll work through it. Through the initial bond and one flesh relationship can be formed in the first sexual relationship couple has. Fullness of what God wants to do in one flesh relationship takes time has to become. Relationships take time to build and to grow. So my exhortation is to you, husband and wife, is to slow down and enjoy the time before it's too late, before you can no longer have that. The rest of us that are waiting, okay, God, what do you have next for us within those relationships? Help us, Lord, to slow down, pay attention to you, and to seek what is best. Before the fall of Adam and Eve, they were both naked, not ashamed. The idea of nakedness here is far more than nudity. It's a sense of being totally open and exposed. Exposed as a person before God and man. To be naked and not ashamed means that you have no sin. There's nothing to be rightly ashamed of. There's nothing to hide. That's a great place to walk in life, isn't it? I've got nothing to hide. I'm open before the Lord. It speaks to vulnerability, transparency, humility, all before the Lord. Guys, there is more to marriage than sex. Intimacy is truly, fully engaging. It is an invitation that God gives to us when we first give that invitation to our spouse as well. And it is that intimacy, and you've heard me say it before, into me see. Into me see. Who am I? Adam and Eve knew that they were physically naked. What they did not know was a sinful fallen condition because they were not in that condition before the rebellion. We often feel uncomfortable when someone stares at us. This is because we associate staring with prying. We don't, we don't want people to pry. What are you, what are you staring at? What's wrong? What are, we want to remain hidden. We only want to reveal to other people what we want to reveal. Even at times, we add on uh, to our appearance a mask that we hide behind, presenting layers of protection, not letting anyone in. On the other side of that, we want to be most attractive to somebody else. We do the most we can to change our normal appearance. We have the thought, if I really want to impress that person, I've got to fix myself up. I've got to do my hair. Uh, I've got to paint the barn, uh, whatever it is you've got to do. I have to make myself look good. Got to sell it. None of this feeling was present with Adam and Eve. They were naked and not ashamed. Nothing to hide. God's intention for us has always been a deep, unrestricted intimacy with him. No walls between us. Sin has destroyed that intimacy. But Jesus reconciles us to God. He makes a relationship with him possible. And when we see him in heaven, our relationship will be completely restored. Thank God. 1 John 3, 2 is not in the slides. It says, beloved, now we are children of God. 
It is not that we appeared yet what we will be. We know now when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Waiting on God's best in all things. Believing in faith that God is gonna provide miraculously. In relationships, definitely, but, but really in all things. In our health, in our finances, in our job, having children, no matter what the circumstance is, providing, trusting that God is gonna provide that, that miracle, that, that, that thing that you need. Okay, I can make this, I can do this. A reminder to be present where God has you today. Hey, yeah, that thing happened. Take care of what you need to. Go before God in forgiveness. Seek him, humble yourself. And then be intentional. Just take care of what God has given you. Be a good steward of it. Be a good steward of that marriage. Be a good steward of that relationship. Protect it. As I was closing this out, I was drawn back to Isaiah 43, 18 again. And just out of curiosity, I've had this, I've been on this message paraphrase kick for some reason. But I thought it was really good. So listen to this, and it's not in the slides. It's Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 in the message. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I am making a road in the desert and rivers in the wasteland. God is going to provide exactly what you need at the time that you need it. That is our faith. That is our hope. Waiting for God's best. Waiting for his miraculous provision. You see, God has the very best in mind for you and I. Even a miracle. Something we didn't imagine or maybe couldn't even think of or maybe we didn't even know we were praying for it. But unless we slow down and surrender to him, we may miss it. Slow down and ask him, God, would you just give me your very best, whatever you have for me, and let me be content with that. Your timing, your will be done. God, if it's a relationship, if it's a friendship, if it's a job, finances, health, whatever it may be, we just gotta start letting go of those things it's okay to have the plans. We've been talking about that. Okay to prepare. Okay to have the plans. Hold them loosely. Lord, here's what I think. Here's where I think I'm going. Here's, here's what I think I'm going to be doing. And God, is this where you're directing me? Um, if not, would you remove it and help me to be where you want me to be? That's a daily process. I have so many things scribbled in my office. It's crazy. My SS Park trip, I ended up shredding like 14 pages of notes and thoughts and my plans. And I said, okay, Lord, that was, that was good. It was a good brain dump. You should do that. And then I shredded it and said, Lord, it's yours. Now, what are you going to do? Would you guide me and direct me? We need what God's best is for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you love us. Time and time again, Lord, I'm amazed. Lord, you, you know me and you still love me. You know me and you still extend your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you for your word and the Old Testament and the New Testament. God, that you speak to us in the whole counsel of your word. We are your creation. But in our humanness, we forget and we get impatient and we follow the flesh and we want those answers and those things in the, the, the microwave or drive-through mentality. Give it to me now. God, would you forgive us? And would you help us? We need your best. We need your miraculous provision. You said it was not good for us to be alone, thus you created a suitable helper, man and woman, with God-given, God-ordained roles to complement, not compete with each other. God, for those who are married, would you help them take care of what you've given them, first of all? Would you bring restoration and healing to marriages? Would you break down those walls? Would you let their kids see the testimony of surrendered parents and genuine faith? For those that are not married, Lord, would you, would you help? I put my in that category. Would you help us wait for your provision? Whatever it may be. Would you help us not to get ahead of you We just need your help. We also need strong, godly friendships, Father. That means that we have to be a little bit open to others, and that's hard at times. So would you help us, Lord, build community focused on you? Would you help us each accept our God-given roles and not conform to the world's views? Would you help men to rise up and lead and would you help women to step alongside? Would you help us to protect each other? Would you strengthen a husband that he's ready to lay down his life? Help us teach our children and our grandchildren this truth that they would not get caught up in the world's view. Help us not to buy into the world's view of sex. God, you made it with purpose. in it that we are to enjoy each other and to be fruitful and to multiply, filling the earth with God-loving and God-fearing kids. Help us do that. Help us seek forgiveness, laying down the past, trusting that you're directing, providing, and guiding a miraculous answer that we haven't even thought of, literally bringing provision for everything that we need. We trust in you and we love you and we need you. There are those of you that may not have a relationship with God and there's a simple statement here is that God created you with purpose and loves you unconditionally. 
He has a plan for your life. We all have a choice. We have free will. And now that you know that, the responsibility is yours to choose. You can choose to confess and believe that, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And you can step into eternity in heaven or you can decline and walk away. It's your choice. But that's eternity spent in hell. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You don't have to get everything in order. God takes you right where you are. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. It's okay. Just walk back. He's right there. His hand is stretched out. Just reach out to him. Ask him to restore you. So I'm going to say a quick prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed. And if that's you and you need to draw back into a relationship with him or you need to surrender your life for the first time, pray this. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the plan that you've had since the beginning of time. I know I need you in my life. I ask that you forgive me that you help me, I've struggled. I've tried to do things on my own. I've tried to fill the void in my life on my own and none of it's worked. In fact, it's made it worse. I need you, I need your help. I can't do it without you. I simply surrender to you and I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that you, Father God, raised him from the dead. So Jesus, please be Lord of my life. Help me, use me to bring hope to others as well. Help me push back against the devil's deceptions and to fight for my faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to chat with you. One of the guys or gals with the red lanyard on the prayer team would love to chat with you as well. Um, just get your Bible and pray with you. If you prayed it online, just shoot me an email, scott at foothillscalvary.org, and I'll get back to you as well. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.